Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 162 of the Line of Vienna Suite podcast, the premier Bolton Wanderers podcast, if we do say so ourselves. Uh, slightly different format tonight. Yeah, your regular host, Tom, is, is otherwise occupied, so I'm, I'm Chris and I'm stepping in uh, in his absence. I'm ably assisted tonight by James. Good evening, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Just had a tiring day in the garden. Um, and yeah, not really much else is happening. Just looking forward to getting back to normality and waiting for me jab. Happy days, happy days. I had my second one today, so I'm feeling like the Hulk tonight with one arm slightly bigger than the other, which has been the tale of the last sort of 15 years of my life anyway, but that's another story. We're also joined by uh, Simon. Simon, welcome back to the pod. It's nice to have you back, mate. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Great stuff. Uh, offering a unique insight as the only Bolton Wanderers fan with a single clue about any Carlisle United players. So, on to serious business from the off. We'll, we'll touch briefly on an element of disappointment um, over the last few days in terms of, of the footballing world. Not the Super League, which we'll touch on later on in the show. But the Grimsby game. So, James, we, we approached the Grimsby game with all the arrogance of, of a club befitting our status, guaranteed victory, what's the point in even messing about on the fruit to come, crashing down around our ears? Going into the game, did you even slightly comprehend the, the possibility that Wanderers wouldn't come away with all three points? Oh, you know, you know I didn't. I said as much on the last <laughs> podcast. That Grimsby, from their point tally and from the way I saw how they played when I, when we last played them, they just look like a, they, they looked like a dead and buried team in my eyes. I strike strike force of Lennel John Lewis and James Hansen isn't supposed to be the stuff of nightmares like it was like it was when they actually played. Absolutely. But no, full credit to Grimsby. They properly approached they properly approached the game. They gave they gave our backline hell, and yeah, I'd, although to be fair, we didn't really help ourselves. It was another case of more missed chances and more, and probably one of our worst performances for quite a while. It wasn't like Newport where we just missed where we just missed the chances, but we dominated the game. No, we we let Grimsby play way too much, and we got rightfully we got rightfully punished for it. Uh, it's a shame Grimsby can't stay up if they put in that kind of performance, but. I guess the results just went too much against their way, but hey, thankfully it bounced back. We didn't let it affect us, but oh my god, that game was so <laughs> frustrating, and it could have easily been four-four. We're just lucky we managed to keep it down to a one-goal difference. Yeah, it was wild at times, wasn't it? Um, Simon, do you think in the long run, a, a defeat of that nature against the team in Grimsby's position might end up doing us a favour a little bit in 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 when it comes to the running towards the end of the season in terms of keeping our feet on the ground a little bit because let's face it there has been any amount of smoke being blown at Bolton Wanderers' arse for the last sort of 15-16 games more or less Yeah well I, I think the main thing I was worried about is is that if we suddenly lost a game we would lose three or four on the bounce which thankfully mm. we haven't done um, I mean I know we've lost two in the last four or five but the, well Talk about smoke being blown up our ass. I, I was more concerned about myself. I mean, it was it was my first day back at work in months. Having you know, you, you'd have your usual workplace banter. Everybody asked me, "Oh, how many games have Bolton lost recently?" 
And on the day that I was finally able to say, oh, well, oh, well they haven't been losing. And uh, then you get to the afternoon. Oh, how's the game going? Oh, one nil down in the first minute, you know. Um, I think it was always going to happen eventually. I, I would have loved to share James's sentiment a few weeks ago, thinking we could go the season unbeaten. It, it was always possible, but not probable. Um, going behind in the first minute had that weird double-edged sword thing. If you think, oh, you know, they've got... they've. It's not nice to go behind that early, but at the same time, you've got plenty of time to get back into mm -hmm. it. Yep. But the longer that you don't score, it just felt like it was going to be one of those days, and unfortunately. And I think that's exactly right, mate. I think that, that's a really good way of looking at it in terms of being just one of those days. Uh, a couple of points each before we move on. James, I, I've not seen Santos bullied like that for a good few months. Um, thankfully, against Carlisle, he came back and was much more like his old self. But it was, again, perhaps a bit of a wake-up call, do you think, for, for someone, again, who has been in pretty good form for, for the majority of the season uh, coupled with all the talk of his move his, you know, his inevitable inevitable move to Barcelona or someone like that as the season progresses but do you think that sort of reality check will, will again benefit him because he's had a fairly inexperienced time in his career so far, he's probably not really experienced the highs that he's had with us to date just find the whole thing very interesting where, where do you stand on that? Yeah well, if there was any uh, case of him getting way too arrogant, he was he was humbled in that regard, but mm. he's rightfully deserved all the plaudits that he's had this season. And to be fair, from the interviews that I've heard from him, he seems like the kind of guy that does has his head on the ground. It wasn't just I him. That, it wasn't just him that day. It was ba Baptiste himself had a bad day at the office. It was Declan John's worst game by far. Geffen wasn't very consistent. The whole back line just struggled. If it wasn't for Jilks, like I said, it could have been about four or five. He was the real hero that day. So now, yeah, just a just a bad day at the office, and he he rightfully he rightfully bounced back in the later games. It happens. It, ha it happens. Nobody's nobody's completely consistent throughout an entire season. Nope. Very true. Very true. And last point on this one, then Simon for. Uh, James took the words right out of my mouth there just to, to comment on, on Jilks he, he had a fantastic game um, just again just and I know we lost and so it seems a little bit of a curious uh, point to make I guess but just thinking where we might have been had he played those first dozen games of the season um, all, all this season has missed from Bolton was a good start uh, and we'd have been iron, iron dry by now surely yeah I completely agree I mean I, mean, I think we talked the other week about that that confidence that comes mm. from a good centre-back partnership, but not only from them, but the the sort of settled thing with the defence and the goalkeeper behind them that they're all confident with. And I think, like you say, the the start to the season was the the missing piece of the puzzle looking back on it. And a lot of those goals we conceded early on were, were long range or from strange angles and, and just things that didn't look like, you know, they looked like they were avoidable. Um, yeah, I think we, if we'd had him from the start of the season, it could have been a different picture. Totally agree with you, mate. Totally agree. But okay, so we'll put that their defeat behind us, and we moved on to a home game against Carlisle United this week. Um, I'll keep you, Simon, on this one again with your with your perspective for, for geographical reasons going into the game. What was the mood like locally in terms of the the press? Um, I had the commentary on for for the, the I think it was Radio Cumbria or something like that on on the iFollow service, and I thought it was quite insightful and quite interesting to be honest to get that opposing perspective, but. What, what was the mood like in the town going into the game? I, I'm, I'm assuming there are actually Carlisle fans in Carlisle. Or 
Can't say I've ever met one. <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, there's not. We, we are talking about a, a club. When I used to go, there would be applause around the ground if the attendance figure was over 3,000. This is the kind of figures we're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a strange one with Carlisle. I mean, I, w- I was actually there the day they got relegated to League Two a few years ago, and it was one of those things, you know, wh- when you're Bolton and you're in League Two, you always hope you're going to have the resources to come back. When you're Carlisle, not so much. And they've been there for a few years. And I think this is the second or maybe the third year, actually, in the last four or five when they've been in or around the playoffs. Um, the start to the season, obviously, was really strong. And then I remember a lot of weather conditions over winter ended up with a situation yeah. where they had about five games in hand. And you're thinking, oh, well, they'll still do well. And they sort of lost all of them. Um, so it's got into a little bit of a dis- desperate situation now. So, the, you know, as you can imagine, the local mood was one of <laughs> we need to win, but we don't necessarily expect it. You know, the the, yeah. the, the league position is is not bad, but the the run of form over the last few months is quite bad. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't think it was a very hopeful mood personally. I, like you said, I, I also started with the uh, the local the Carlisle well, the Carlisle commentary at the start of the game. I thought that might have been some kind of um, accident with my phone picking up a local station, but apparently that was everybody. Yeah, it certainly did provide an opposition perspective, which, which is decent to hear, I think, given what we're used to. Okay, fair do. So, so moving into the game, uh, sorry, as the game started, James, were you, were you surprised at all to see the fact that Everett named an unchanged side? I mean, for, for me, it's perhaps indicative of the fact that we, we have a, a reasonably thin squad and, and that strength in depth is a bit of a problem, but were you surprised? Were you expecting any changes? Or for you, was it the right call? Um, I thought he might make a change to the midfield, considering only really Thomason did themselves any mm. favours against Grimsby. Um, but no, in in, a, in the same vein, I'm also not that surprised he's changed it because that sort of settled lineup has has been really well. They're the ones that have really cemented it and. All yeah. the ones that have been brought in, brought off the bench, barring Miller, who we've all affectionately referred to as Ollie Gunner Miller, um, don't really have the same impact when they start. So, yeah, I, I can't say I can't say I'm surprised, and it and it worked out well. A lot of the players had a resurgence. I mean, Darpo for one, he had an incredible game against Carlisle. Mm. Yeah, that that was more back to himself because he had faded a few in a fair few games same with Declan John he made a big resurgence I thought his growth was was quietly really good as well yeah yeah it was just a it was just a much better day at the office for everyone including especially throwing Doyle who had been in quite a dry period and managed to finally get the goal he's been clamoring for after missing so many chances in previous matches I'm happy for him in that regard so yeah no it's for the best and it's a much-needed boost of confidence for everyone, especially going into such a vital game on Saturday. That I completely agree, uh, and we'll definitely come to the Morecambe game in a bit. But I mean, I'm glad you, you brought Doyle there. Um, his contribution to the season has obviously been been vital in terms of the number of goals he scored. I know there are maybe some tongue-in-cheek um, criticisms of him coming in, the fact that he, you know, sort of in inverted commas, he only scores goals, but. For you, Simon, did, did, how have you reviewed his his first season at the club? I mean, he's what is he thirty two, thirty three now? He's coming and he, and his his goal return is is undoubtedly a key element in our promotion run. So I guess my point is maybe two pronged. 
how have you seen this season gone? And, and do you think that, again, we might have benefited from perhaps a, a better quality uh, in terms of backup it, to challenge him and, and occasionally when he has hit those poor patches of form to give him a rest? Okay, so, yeah, his his role in, like you said, his role in, in potential promotion has been undoubtedly. I think it was is it 18 he's got this season mm, now. Is that one? Um, it's one of those where, you know, he, he has missed plenty of chances. I think a lot of strikers do. Um, well, not a lot of strikers, but many strikers do. But um, yeah, the fact that he's got 18 goals and the fact that a lot of them have, have been probably winning goals, considering we've always been winning by slim margins. I don't mm. think we've got any three or fours all season. Um, sort of makes it slightly easy to forgive the ones he does miss. Um, I think my main thing I like about him is he doesn't seem to lose confidence. There's been plenty of games where you know he misses he misses a chance but he, he you know he always looks almost angry at himself but in a positive way he never he never seems to you know flop on the ground and put his head down and um Definitely. and get too upset with himself um which i like um as for backup yeah perhaps we would have benefited more if we'd had a bit more pressure um miller has obviously been a good uh, sort of Magic man from the substitutes bench uh, against Grimsby and against Barrow, especially when he scored the winner. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's never felt like real competition for a starting place. I don't know whether it would have benefited. Um, Delphonse has obviously chipped in here and there, but Doyle always knows he's he's going to start. But but maybe maybe if he didn't know that, maybe would it make him play better or would that affect his confidence? I'm not sure. Fair points. Um, James, one, one player whose confidence certainly seemed to be on the up, and, and you, you touched on it earlier on in your own review of the game, was Affalion. I thought he was absolutely sensational in that first half. How bothered are you, you know, particularly about this, this zero in the goals and assists column? Granted, assists don't really matter, but from an attacking player, he's undoubted quality. Does it matter to you that he's not managed to register yet? I mean, from my perspective, I couldn't give a monkeys. I think he's contributing in, in a million other ways, and him being a, a permanent signing at the end of the season would be an absolute ideal scenario for me. But where do you stand on his contribution so far? Um, I'm not. I'm pretty sure he has got assists registered, but I know. But if it's going by your standards, he probably hasn't. But any, but that's besides that's the point. Right. No such thing as an assist. <laughs> yeah, but that's besides the point. Um, I'm. I'm not. I'm not really that worried about his lack of goals. Just more. Concerned that he will never ever score a goal again. I swear he's hit the the woodwork about five times with us so far, or just had it go marginally wide, or have every single it shot blocked. Like it, it? Yeah, it, it just feels like it just feels like the lad is cursed and he's just never going to score for us. But but I completely agree with you. He'd be he'd be one of my priority signings for next season. The the way the way he bombs down that left-hand side when he's especially when he's in a confident mood and the way he just takes on players and gets into his box his his final ball could still could use some work sometimes but outside of that he's a he's a phenomenal player for this level um our our lease just um messaged us a sat that he's num that he does the most amount of dribbles in the entire league per game that's that that just shows how much pressure he puts on the opposing players and if and and honestly, if he if he re, if he did have that end product, he wouldn't be with us. He'd be way higher up the league. Definitely. So, 
I, I'm just I'm gonna enjoy him while I can for now. But yeah, make him a priority, and especially when he's in form like that, the the lad's undroppable. Definitely, and, and you, you got to think as well that 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 dribbling stat is probably contributing to the treatment he received during the game yesterday. Because obviously he was he was booted all over the show, which is understandable. That's uh, echoing my own defensive standards back in the day. If you can't beat him, just kick him. Uh, one per, one player, Simon, who impressed me enormously through the game, much as he has for for most of the game since Christmas, was Baptiste. He, he seemed to be at the end of every single. Uh, cross every single move into our box and I know Santos has rightly deserved all the credit in the world for the way he's played but I think there's a real shout for, for Baptiste being up there when it comes to both signing and player of the season were you surprised by this resurrection given given what came before do you think his experience is vital and, and how do you think he played last night well I think last night just like for the last few weeks I think he was brilliant like you said he won everything mm. in the air um, I remember I came home from work last night and I was I was just I had my laptop sat there I was making me dinner whilst I watched the game and I just all I can remember is the last 20-25 minutes just seemed like Carlisle had a corner after corner after corner for half an hour and it just felt like he was winning everything between him and Santos um, I from the time I went to my first Bolton game I missed Baptiste's first spell with Bolton so I, I had no previous impression um, but I remember I feel like he had a bit of a difficult start I, th I think it was actually the last time we played Carlisle I feel like one of their goals I remember him miscontrolling a ball and it just got mm. stuck away into the net and I, and I almost I'd almost given up by that point I, I wasn't sure what the what all the fuss was about what the signing was about um, but obviously recently I think he's proved me wrong and he's proved anyone else wrong that, that thought the same yeah, I echo those comments completely. Thinking back to his, his previous time, he was shunted around the back four quite a lot. Obviously, there was a bit more competition for places of a, an higher quality at that time, which he probably didn't benefit from being allowed to settle into that. But his interview with the club last week, I thought, was quite interesting, where he, he commented that he felt himself that his best position was at centre-half. So it's good to see that uh, that he managed to, to get in there and he has worked his way back into the squad and, and into our affections, which isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, Declan John... And went off injured time and I'll stick with you on this one it, granted his, his form has probably dropped off a little from the high standards of his first sort of couple of months in the team um, in terms of a replacement we've got options Brock Bank came on in the, in, against Carlisle you've got Jackson as well there or you know even that, even if you wanted to disrupt the, the centre-half patch you've got Baptiste in there uh, we don't obviously know the full extent of this injury but uh, assuming it's going to keep him out of the Morecambe game at least what would your preferred replacement be? Would it involve one of those three previously mentioned players? Would it be a change in formation? Play championship manager for me. What would you do? Um, well, I think either Brockbank's got to go in there or Brockbank, I feel like he's more natural at right back, but that would mean moving uh, Gethin Jones across. Oh, of course, yeah. I didn't think um, but I seem to think that he was not as good at left back as he has been on the right as well. Um, I think the the negative when any left-sided player gets injured is that the majority of players are, are right-footed. Um, mm. It sounds like an obvious comment to make, but it's true. You know, I mean, a couple, I mean, I think the uh, there was a couple of um, really good crosses put in by Declan John last night. Um, one where Owen Doyle had a header off the line. One when the ball went narrowly over his head. 
if you have a right-footed player in those positions, they're having to cut back, they're having to take more time. So there's no obvious solution, I wouldn't say. But um, I would keep a natural defender in there and I, I wouldn't move um, Baptiste around. Yeah, I think I, I would agree. Jackson would be my preferred option. James, what about yourself? The same question. Um, although I don't, although if I'm being brutally honest, I don't really rate the lad that much. I would put Jackson there. You need a left footer at left back. It it just it's just it just adds balance to the team, and maybe maybe the lad can take his chance and you know prove to Huddersfield why they should maybe consider him for next season or something like that. Mm. You know. Add add yeah. add some experience to his game. I'm I'm just I like Brockbank. I really do. But he's he's just not he's not a left back. He's a he's a right back or apparently an emergency goalkeeper. He's and he's nothing else. <laughs> Interesting that you've mentioned goalkeepers. That was going to be my next point. Um, Simon, where do you stand on the on the argument about not putting a goalkeeper on the bench? I mean. I said in the podcast we were on last time that I, I I don't mind it from a danger perspective. It, it it keeps me amused, which is something that I very much need at the moment with everything going on in the world. But what about from your perspective? Do you think it's going to bite us in the arse one day, or do you think that given the likelihood of a goalkeeper getting injured, that was always the the argument that Warn, Neil Warnock used, it's a risk worth taking. It's funny you say that because I, I mean I thought it was going to bite us in the arse last night, but you know we were lucky enough that it was. It was very late in the game, but um, yeah, that even though it was late in the game, just seeing the goalkeeper on the ground and knowing you don't have one, just I, I know, there's not a fear like it, is there? I mean, absolutely, um, gave me the willies sat there, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I mean. Obviously, the alternative, um, do we, you know, who 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 would be on the bench? Krellin or I forget the name of the other lad we signed on because he's not weird. Yeah, Jensen from Burnley. Yeah, um, I'd say the last few games I'd, I'd put Jensen on the bench just to be safe. Yeah, I, I totally see your point, and, and hopefully it won't come to that. But uh, but we'll see. The commentators certainly made a point about Brockbank being there as our emergency backup keeper. But hey, maybe we'll never need to find out. Let's hope not. Okay, so Wanderers did manage to eke out the victory in the end. It was a, a stoic defensive performance as the game wore on, as Simon said before. It did seem as though they were bombarding our goal in the last sort of 15-20 minutes but as we've shown a couple of times this season when the lads have got their backs against the wall they're a resolute bunch which would bring us on then to what many people describe as the most important game since the last most important game but we'll, we'll use the Nottingham Forest one where Wilbraham of course scored his famous goal as our most direct comparison James Everett didn't change anything this weekend uh, sorry this midweek I beg your pardon from the game prior but we've got the added wrinkle this time of, of what we understand is that Captain Sarsovic should be back in the team, or at least back in the squad available for selection. For me, I think I would leave him on the bench and bring him on if needed, uh, perhaps in the second half if you know if things are going in our favour or you know fingers crossed they're not doing. But in case something goes awry, but what would you do? Again, we'll, we'll go back to Championship Manager. See what what, what do you think Sarsovic's role will be at weekend? Um. I'm not going to lie, I'd be tempted to replace Lee with him. Because Lee's supposed okay. to be, at the moment, is supposed to be the, the link between Doyle and, you know, the rest of the midfield, our most advanced midfielder. But he's really not suited to that kind of role. And currently, out of the um, 
out of the three-man midfield that we've currently got, Thomason right now plays plays the best forward passes and yeah, and is currently the best in form. And Williams is absolutely vital as that screen in front of the defense, and he and he puts in a lot of um, putting a lots of puts in a lot of yards uh, in terms of defensive work. Lee's been fading a bit in recent games. I don't think he had a bad game against uh, Carlisle, but definitely not up to the standards he's been set previously when we were on our 14-match winning run. So I would be tempted, but at the same time, I don't like changing a winning team, and I also don't like the thought mm. of risking I know, risking Sarsvich coming back early. I understand that they've been cautious with him, and... He probably might have been fit for Carlisle, but they just didn't want to risk it too early. But even if he is our captain, I'd be ten- I'd just leave him on the bench and just see how the game pans out. You can either bring him in to force him, force him to attack if we're either lacking a goal or we're behind. Because if, the, if there's anything Sarsvich can guarantee, it's slightly more goals from midfield. and Or you can just bring him on for a tight... For uh, tiring midfield, because we've seen in previous games they do a lot of running, and he's only ever really put Tot on the bench, who's only really a replacement for Williams, who's probably the fittest lad in that entire mm. in that entire lineup. So Tot's barely going to get a a game. So yeah, I I'd probably be t- I'd probably be tempted to put him on the bench myself. Yeah, I think that's a valid point as well about the, the, the added goal threat we mentioned before, didn't we? That when, when Doyle's not on it, nobody else seems to really be on it. But Sarsvich has shown this season that he's got that in his locker. I suppose easy-peasy question for me, Simon, is, is the same thing to you. Where, where do you stand on the on the Sarsvich issue? Would you immediately bring him back in? If so, for who? Where do you think we, what do you think we'll do? Um, I agree with a lot of what James has just said. I, I wouldn't immediately change a winning team um, you don't want to risk him getting injured all these things I think it would be best personally to keep him on the bench um, but be, you know, being the captain he, he is a leader he's got a good character and he's got a good threat so I've got we, we, you know with the way we've never scored many goals all season whatever however the game's going I've got a feeling it's going to be very tight personally it would be a case of you know maybe 60-65 minutes in we need a goal or we need a bit of extra encouragement a bit of extra character if we're, you know, growing tired or something like yeah. that, and that's that's when you bring him on for, you know, whoever in the midfield is currently having the the worst game of the three. Um, I think that's how I personally play it. Makes perfect sense. I, I don't disagree with either of you there. I'd uh, I'd love to see him come back and have a positive impact, but I think the game is of such utmost importance that perhaps for, for at least for the opening sections of the game, we, we look to maintain that sort of continuity. So I suppose the obvious question to follow up to both of you, and, and James, I'll come to you first, is how, how do you think the game will go? I think a KG affair is maybe inevitable, um, but it's a game that we don't necessarily need to win, if, if you know, from, from a certain perspective. But I'd, I'd love to know what your opinion is of how you think Everton will approach it and how you ultimately think we'll do. I think Everton will approach it in the same manner that he, he has pretty much done every other game. I hope he... Morecambe have been a free-scoring team in recent games. I believe they've scored mm. 11 in their last three. So they've really hit form at the right time. So they'll, they'll probably want to come at us, after, especially after seeing how Grimsby came at us 
and it's really down to Everett to see if he's learned from his mistakes at Grimsby and whether we'll be able to cope with that better. It's going to be cagey in the sense that there's probably going to be a lot of back and forth between the two boxes, especially attacking-wise. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be really a test of how our defence is going to deal with the likes of Mendes Gomez, who, is, who has especially been on fire for them recently. Even the likes of Cole Stockton, who last game we completely nullified before mm. before the red card happened. Their players are all hitting the floor in the right time. They'll be confident, even against the likes of Santos and Baptiste, who bullied them last time. They 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 know we're there to they know we're there to be broken down. And frankly, this is one of the biggest games in Morecambe's history, so they will absolutely be up for it. But if Everton can just get into the heads that if we win this, we've pretty much secured our title, and he plays the according to tactics properly and properly deals with the Morecambe goal threat. I can easily see us snap snatching it one nil and just putting putting that nail in the coffin to Morecambe's um, automatic promotion hopes. I love it. Yep, sounds like an ideal scenario to me. Simon, do you think there's a scenario though that exists where we don't win and and we perhaps do draw or heaven forbid we do take a loss at such a vital stage of the season? Would a draw be the worst thing in the world? And I know we're not a million miles clear of our competitors, not no more of us and other and other teams. Given where we are, we then what two games to go after this or three games? I can't remember exactly. Uh, two it, games. It's after getting to the crunch time, into right. Thanks, James. It, it's getting to that crunch time, into um, I'm I'm torn on this one a little bit because I'm 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 reluctant to to risk too much. That means that we might potentially lose the game. But at the, same, at the same sort of time, it's a fine balance for me um, as, as to whether we go for it or not. And we do do a bit of damage limitation, I guess, given the strength of our opposition. Yeah. I, I think, obviously, like you say, we can't go all gung-ho and risk, you know, losing because we, we, we're, you know, careless or anything like this. But I really think we need to try and win. Um Obvious as it might sound, um, if if we draw, obviously we still stay ahead of them. But um, it's not the worst thing in the world mathematically. But I think winning is another. Obviously, we're currently concerned about Morgan potentially taking our spot. I think if we if we only get the one point and suddenly Tranmere win, we maybe have to worry about them as well. Mm. Um, it's so finely balanced. It's yeah, it's very finely balanced. I mean, the fact that until the red card we, we, we really outplayed them earlier in the season that's one of those things where we need to take confidence that from that but also not be careless because of it because obviously Morecambe have turned a corner since then um, and teams are always capable of turning corners I mean we never thought in early January we would be here at all yeah so we've turned about six ourselves haven't we we really have yeah especially in the last few weeks as well so yeah, the, the, I mean, the last few times in my mind we've played teams you sort of around us um, and away from home, obviously Forest Green and Salford come to mind where we've known it's going to be tough. We've got a fairly early goal, our first half goal, and just sat on it. Um, I'm maybe a bit more nervous doing that against Morgan because of the goals they've scored recently, the amount of goals they've scored. Um, I don't think we should maybe sit on 1-0. I feel like if we could get two goals... I don't know if I'd, I was about to say I'd still be confident, but maybe that's not. 
I think we've got to we've got to hold on to that because the, the, the way they play and, and like you both have said, the goal fact that they possess, it may come down to a straight up shootout. In which case, the likes of Sarsovic and, and Doyle will come to the fore, perhaps more so than the likes of Williams and and Thomason, who, for all the best will in the world, are, are not going to be scoring the five ten goals a season that you'd expect Sarsovic to score, for example. But it's so finely balanced that I'm really looking forward to it. We've um, got got plans for Saturday. You know, we've got they've got the the, the telly down in the bar in the garden all ready to go and, and everything's all set and we'll be testing the Wi-Fi making sure that all works I just think it's really exciting and, and it's all credit to the lads and to the manager that we've got to this stage of the season with something to play for not only that we could potentially put our one foot in League One if things go in our favour touch wood um, OK brilliant well in that case for, for Morecambe stuff I think I'll just come to you both for a quick score prediction as I, I know neither of you put your neck on the line so I'm going to make you do so. James, give me a score prediction. Uh, I want to st- I want to stay confident, so I'll go off. Yeah, it's so easy to say 1-0 considering how much we've won <laughs> by that margin this season, but standard scoreline. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's boring. So I'll go for 2-1 a 2-1 win. Diamond, same question to you, mate. Yeah, without sounding like I'm copying James and also predicting the most commonly predicted football score in the world, I'm sure. I would love to think two one. I would love to. I would love to think it's getting towards the end of the game, and uh, Sean Miller comes on and does it for us again. And also, if any if any of the Bolton players are listening to this, uh, you know, it is my birthday on Saturday, so please. Well, happy birthday for Saturday. It was mine on Sunday, just passed, and they didn't give me a present this wine so let's hope you've been a better boy this year than I have fingers oh, crossed eh? I hope so. outstanding well I think that, that that's really positive and it's definitely going to be one to, to reflect on which I'm sure we will do come come the weekend and we can bring some more of this wonderful Bolton Wanderers ear palm to all the listeners attention it would be remiss of us to, to leave without talking about the other major footballing in, uh, story of the week we don't tend to really dwell too much on the outside world being as, as myopic as we are on this podcast but sticking with you Simon the, all this Super League nonsense it, it made me laugh I, I was trying my hardest to follow the Bolton game on Tuesday and I was watching it with kind of one and one and two thirds eyes I couldn't take the, the remainder off my phone just following the absolute implosion of that mess what's been your opinion on the entire thing? Well it, apart from it causing me to spend two nights you know explaining what was going on to my parents who know nothing about football and staring at my TV in just not even barely saying a word because I was so angry um, total power grab total greed I mean I feel I had no sympathy for the clubs to start with I have a little bit now um, we know a bit more that it was sort of you know I think they said one club even some of the chief execs didn't know and they spent mm. all day trying to get hold of the owners I'm not sure I mean, my best guess would be that that would be Arsenal or someone like that. But um, yeah, I think the main question for me is people always talking about whether these clubs should be dot points or not. And people like Graham Sooner saying, you know, well, they shouldn't be dot points because all that does is punish the team and the supporters. And all those kind of pundits always seem to forget that if you're a lower league team, you can't pull this kind of thing. And if you Mm -hmm. have an owner like we did that screws you over, it is the fans that suffer. And it's not that I wish that on other clubs it's just I don't know you know you've got to decide what kind of precedent you want to set and it always seems to be that the lower teams will um, you know get punished no matter what and as soon as there's a so-called bigger club and it might affect you know 
reputation of, of the game a bit more widely. They suddenly start thinking about letting them off, and I'm not sure I'm keen. Definitely not. I, I'd echo that. It's it's interesting to note the way that the the obvious ones, the Wiggins, Bolton, and Berry scenarios have, have have played out over the last few weeks, months, and years. To not even a third of the outcry that uh, that a few greedy clubs going away to play in their own playground and excluding the other kids seems to have caused. And it just makes you wonder. I saw an interview with Patrick Bamford that that really resonated. It's a shame that people within you know, the journalistic world, you've got pundits, you've got commentators and, and players alike, not being this passionate when it comes to a, a genuine issue, such as the you know the, the, the fight against racism that's going on. But it, it's, I'm glad it's all come to a head and, and I'm sure there'll be a, a version 2.0 at some point in the future, but we'll see what that looks like. But James, I'll give you the final word on this particular one. Then. Could you believe it when it all came out and, and did you think it would un- unravel quite so quickly? Um, I didn't think it would unravel as quickly as it did, but I'm not I'm not surprised by it all happening. It's it was the inevitable apex of just how much absolutely ridiculous amount of money there is in the game, and especially how it's been Definitely. hoarded by the quote unquote top big six. It it was quite frankly disgusting. I'm not going to mince words. That as soon as I heard it, I was really pissed off, and I I basically rants on Twitter in the night and then the next day and then the day after until everything finally unraveled. Now I'm having rants about how all of them should be punished as much as they possibly can. If if I if I was in FIFA or the UEFA or the FA or whoever, I I'd have I'd have them I'd have them dog points, I'd have I'd inflict transfer embargoes on them, I'd have them sent to lower divisions and make them work their way back up. They've taught these clubs like this have totally lost sight of their origins. Football should be a working man game. It was built by working class people, and we know of being one of the founders of the initial English Football League. We know the heritage of our club, and we especially know what it's been like to be properly ran to the absolute brink of disaster by, by club owners who just do not give a shit about the fans. It's so I've absolute so while I have sympathy with fans of this club, um, I still want those clubs to be properly punished as much as possible, because you can't you can't because you can't just expect to be holier than now. Think that you're Billy Big Boots. Try to create your own league just because you're not because you're not getting spoiled enough by the powers that be. And expect and expect to not get properly punished for it. I, re- as much as I don't see it happening, I really hope that all the governing bodies around properly, properly crack down. That's the kind of precedent that you need to set from now on. Right, there needs to be enough constant pressure from not only the, the fat fans, but the powers that be to, to maintain this, kind of keep the ball rolling, to bring it into yeah. real real life bit. To bring it into real life slightly, it's it's a shame that um, it's taken such a whole pro- high profile event f- for thing to take action. But let's bring it into real life a little bit. We've just recently had the verdict of the George Floyd trial. Do you think that honestly that that police officer would have got would have gotten away with it if there hadn't been such public outcry? Uh, for him to get properly reprimanded 
not a chance. He would have absolutely gotten away with a lighter sentence or just not been sentenced at all. Yep. It's just, it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that fans need to make up if we're to have any kind of integrity in the game and just just not let greed constantly win all the time. Gary Neville summed it up fantastically. I know it's slightly hypocritical in from coming in from a platform like Sky, um, making his point on there, but you use what you use whatever use whatever means that you can to get the message across. To be honest, use what use whatever you have to, even if you have to sometimes go into their playground to do it. But it has. But football itself has to change. I was hearing rumours about um, the English teams discussing the you know the fifty plus one. German yeah. fan-owned model. I would absolutely love that. Sure, 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 there's still issues with it, but it's a hell of a lot of it's a hell of an improvement over what we've currently got now. Because there's too many, there's too many um, clubs, especially near the top end, that just they they don't have any restrictions. They either need a completely independent, independently regulated government body, which I don't trust to be implemented properly, because bribery is a thing or the, or the fans need to have majority control the fans know what's best for the fans most of the time so I don't know it's still early days with this situation we'll have to see how it develops but the entire thing really really got on my nerves and I'm just so glad that it's been been dealt with as quickly as it has and now we, and now we just need to keep the ball rolling so, so this kind of power grab cannot happen again yeah, well said. Uh, no arguments from anything Brilliant, like that. And, and yeah. we are, we are in a position as a as a club where we've experienced the opposite, haven't we? Where the the, the supporters banded together, uh, the 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 famous march around the stadium that you know was was written off by some as as being a, a waste of time. Ultimately, the, I'm not suggesting for for a second that made a difference, but this is the, the fans' opportunity, isn't it, to show that. That the custodians of the club, they might only have the, the keys to the front door, but ultimately ownership rests elsewhere. And while some parts of that plan may require powerful, wealthy people giving up further wealth and power, uh, I think this week has undoubtedly shown that the, the fans have got that ability when they all band together. And and it's thanks to thanks to Theo Ogden that, that we've managed to achieve that at Chelsea. Obviously, <laughs> one little thing for me, it just made me laugh to see the the lad getting a load of grief from uh, from Wanderers fans. That not sitting in front of his telly watching the game, the lad was at work. Anyone can who comes up and tells us that you've never missed a game because of work, you're lying to yourself. So God bless you, Thugden, and and God bless everyone. Yeah, it's been. Yes, yeah, so I was about to say the lad got grief from me, but then I, I saw the cameras and I try not to have a go. At, I don't really like Theo much or or his dad. I won't I won't hide that, but I try not to have a go at the lad without valid criticism. <laughs> If if he's there with a camera, yeah. like you say, like you say, he's doing his he's doing his job. He's a YouTuber. It is what it is. I'd, 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 while I would prefer him to give more attention to Paul on his platform, I get why he was there. I I don't so I don't have as much if, issue with it as other fans seem to. No, it's uh, it is a bit of an easy target, the lad. But but God bless him. He's, he's certainly not doing any harm to anyone. Well. I think on that bombshell, we'll, we'll leave it for there for the night, guys. It's been uh, been a pleasure talking to you. So, as, as always, you can follow the site online at, uh, at Line of Vienna STE. Tech Wizard James will have this podcast out as soon as humanly possible, I'm absolutely certain. 
James, thank you for your time. Simon, thank you for yours. And I hope you all have a very pleasant rest of your week. Cheers.